Well, good morning. We are in our November series called Give Thanks, and if you did not have a chance to be here last Sunday, or uh, if you did not get to uh, listen online, I just want to encourage you, I, I thought that last Sunday was the best Thanksgiving message that I have ever heard in my life, and I, it, was, it really impacted my life, and so Madison, thank you for sharing last Sunday, it was a great message. If you didn't catch that, Go back online and grab that message because it was an awesome way for us to kick off our month of uh, messages called Give Thanks. Amy Morin um, is an author and a psychotherapist, and in an article that she wrote in Forbes magazine, she says that in spite of the, the many benefits that not all Americans um, are really grateful. In fact, she quotes a survey um, of Americans done by the Harris Poll. And in this survey, it says that three out of five Americans want to do something on Thanksgiving other than to reflect on the good things that have been provided for them. And I have to admit that I was a little bit surprised. Not surprised that people would would like to watch football because I like to watch football on Thanksgiving or, or not surprised that people are going to be on their devices or read or spend time with pets. I guess I didn't see that one coming. But, but that people don't want to reflect on uh, their lives and how God has blessed them. Another uh, interesting fact in that, that uh, survey was that one out of five Americans are more thankful. They admit to being more thankful for stuff than they are for people that are in their lives. Well, this morning I want to begin by reading from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20, where the Apostle Paul says, Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And specifically today, what I would like to do is I would like to, to draw our attention and make this idea of thanksgiving extremely personal, maybe even uncomfortably personal. And rather than try to focus your attention on being thankful for you know, this blessing or that blessing or even this person or that person. I want, I want to make this personal. I want us to look at us for a moment. You think, well, how can we be thankful if we're looking at us? Well, I want you to hang with me here. I want us uh, to look at three different things that I think that we should be thankful for. And the first one may surprise you, but stick with me. The first one is this. I want us to be thankful for who I used to be. The Bible, I don't know if you realize this, but the Bible is filled with characters that fail. I mean filled. And there are some really egregious faults uh, that we read about in the Bible. Um, there, there are adulterers in the Bible. There are, are those that were considered mutilators. I mean, just let your mind, I don't know, I'm not, we won't even get into what all that means, but that does not sound good. 
okay? Um, those that are mass murderers, numerous mass murderers talked about in Scripture. Prostitutes, those who, uh, who engaged in incest, those that, that killed infants. I mean, the Bible is filled with all sorts of uh, characters that it's not just about one or two bad life choices. I mean, they're just bad characters, and we read about those in the Bible. And one of those characters who uh, we, we refer to a lot, especially later in his life, was a man that initially uh, was known to us by the name of Saul. And Saul was someone that when we get introduced to him in the book of Acts, he is overseeing, he's giving authority to, um, he's even participating in uh, the death of one of Jesus' followers named Stephen. And he is basically the guy in charge that is, that is giving his blessing on uh, the, the people literally stoning Stephen to death, killing him. He was the first martyr. And he's giving his consent. He's participating along with others. Uh, but we read in Galatians chapter 1, later in Paul's life, he says this, he said, For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. So Paul, in his life, um, before he became Paul, while he was still Saul, he did everything that he could to destroy the church. This brand new group of individuals who believed that Jesus rose from the dead. Not only that he was crucified, but that he actually came back to life. They believe this. We read in Acts chapter 9 that Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the apostles at that time. We read that he went and got authority from the high priest to go to nearby towns and to actually arrest and imprison Christians. Saul was doing everything he could to destroy the church. In fact, he goes on to describe himself later in life as the worst of sinners. Paul had an accurate view of what he used to be like. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, Paul says something very interesting about his own life. He said, I Thank God, whom I serve as my ancestors did, look at this, with a clear conscience. Now my question is, what happened in his life that took him from a man that was approving of the death of others, that was arresting people, um, having them thrown into prison who were a part of the, the body of Christ, and now he looks back and he has able to have a clear conscience. Something happened in his life. We know that on the road to Damascus, the Bible says Jesus appeared to Saul, and Saul had the original come to Jesus moment. I want to talk to you for a minute about a guy named Bob. Bob was a guy that was raised by a Christian mom, um, and Bob decided to, uh, he was going to be a, a wild child in his life. And um, Bob and his friends went out and partied, and they broke into a church, a small church in their community where they knew certain people that attended, even family members. And, and that night when they broke into the church, they came and they stood in the pulpit. And um, in, in, in churches, 
days gone past. You just didn't walk up and stand in, in a pulpit. You know, I, I, in fact, traveling to Europe, um, we visited a church and one of our team actually dared to step up into the pulpit and someone came out and removed us immediately. Um, but they would, they, in the, this church where they broke in in the middle of the night, they came and they stood in the pulpit and, and he recalls that they had a jug of, of some sort of booze and it looked like the old school moonshine jugs and they stood in that pulpit drinking that alcohol, making fun and mocking Christians that they knew in that church. And he recalls that story and he is ashamed of, of those actions. He has a sense of regret uh, of those actions in his life. Well, in 1968, Bob um, got a letter from an uncle of his uh, named Sam. And Uncle Sam said, Bob, you're going to Vietnam. And so uh, Bob became uh, a soldier. And uh, it took a couple months of, of basic training and then it took a couple months of infantry training, and he was going to be assigned to go to Germany to serve. But before he went, they would get 30 days um, off. And so he flew uh, from, from, his, uh, from where he had his training. He flew into O'Hare, and his brother picked him up from the airport and took him to kind of a, a welcome home party. He'd been gone for four months, and, and so they had this welcome home thing. And, and, and then he drove back to his hometown, and, and uh, they got there, and his brother decided to do something very nice for him. And his brother said, why don't you take my car? car tonight. I know you've got plans. Take my car tonight. It was a 1966 Pontiac GTO. And he said, Bob, take my car, but I only have one stipulation. Don't drink. Well, Bob had been gone for four months and felt like he had some, some making up to do. And so Bob, Bob had plans and Bob had been up for a lot of hours in order to travel to get back home. And it didn't take very much for him to get drunk, but he certainly got drunk. It was about midnight, and Bob dropped off a young woman who had been his passenger throughout the evening partying with him. He dropped her off at one location, one bar, and it was midnight, and he had an hour to get to the next place that he was going to go, which was another bar, before 1 a.m. when they quit serving. It was the distance between two little tiny towns, and he raced from one bar to the next. And that road that he took had 14 bridges on it, it was a very windy road. He recalls traveling about 65 miles an hour in that Pontiac GTO. And before one of those bridges, he recalls now, I was completely passed out. I don't remember hitting it, but he hit one of those bridges. He came to in the darkness. You can probably see the picture of what the vehicle looks like. He came to in the darkness with blood dripping down his head. He didn't know where he was. He didn't know, he didn't know how much time had passed. He just knew that there was blackness. No seatbelts, no, no airbags. He realized that, 
the, the, the young lady that had been with him, if she was with him, she would have died. She wouldn't have survived that accident. This was a real wake-up call in his life. You'd think, well, man, after that wake-up call, he's, he's going to just snap right around and he's going to change. But no, he followed his assignment to Germany and for the next almost couple of years continued to live the lifestyle that he had been living. He looks back on it now and feels a sense of regret, a sense of, of shame. And I'm reminded of Saul, who on the Damascus Road had his own wake-up call. He writes later in his life in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, he said, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. How is this possible? How is it possible that this person who had been... Um, overseeing and approving of the death of, of saints, the one who had been uh, get, given authority to go to other communities to imprison followers of Christ, how could that person get to a place where they are able to say that they are confident that God is going to award them uh, eternal life on the day of judgment. To be able to say, I have fought the good fight. I, I finished my race. I've done what I need to do. You see, I believe that the apostle Paul was able to look back and to be thankful about who he was. Not, not that he wanted to continue to be that person. He was thankful that that used to be him. That person wasn't who he is today, but he was thankful for who he used to be because it's who he used to be. Secondly, I believe that we need to be thankful for who we are. Let me ask you a question. Who knows your faults the best. Who knows your faults better than I see Don and Dort reaching for each other's hands back there. <laughs> my answer is my wife. <laughs> my wife knows my faults pretty well. Uh, somebody in the first service, you know, they gave the spiritual answer, God, and that and that's true. But but don't we really know our our faults probably as, as well as any other person walking the earth in flesh right now? We we probably know our own faults the best our failures, um, our faults, whether we want to admit them or not. And, and let's face it, folks, there's a lot of times where we live in denial in our lives. And we sort of block out some of those things. But we know our faults pretty well. James Dyson um, told uh, ABC National Radio that he failed 5,126 times. I don't think I could keep track of my failures. I, 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 I would lose interest in keeping track because I don't want to know the number. Um, and there's probably other people in my life that can do that for me. Um, but, but that's a lot of failures to keep track of. But it was after 5,126 5, failures that he finally successfully came up with what you and I know today is the Dyson Vacuum. And, and let's just be honest, if you've, if you've ever used a Dyson vacuum, you understand that, 
that that's a pretty uh, a pretty cool invention, a pretty interesting invention. And it's not necessarily like all of the other vacuums that are out there. And you're thinking, yeah, I could understand why it would take a lot of times to do that. But he failed 5,126 times before he came up with that. That's a lot of failures to keep track of. So let me ask you this question. Can you look at your life and say, I'm thankful? I think Dyson looked back at those 5,126 times and said, I'm thankful for those 5,126 failures, and he's got $10 billion to prove it. Can you look at your life and say, I'm thankful for who I am, faults and failures and all? Am I able to look at myself that way? And a lot of us would probably say, no, I'm, I'm, I, I really don't, I, I have a hard time saying, yes, I'm thankful for myself, failures and faults and all. Why? It's because we see ourselves as not being good enough. We, we have those faults and those failures in our minds and we struggle to say that, that that's good enough. Let me remind you that in the account of Genesis, six times, Scripture says that God saw what he made and he said it is good. And once he even said it's very good, that includes the creation of humanity. Adam and Eve, knowing that they would fall, knowing that they would sin, knowing that they would disobey, and he still said it's very good. Psalm 139, verse 13 The psalmist says, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. God knows you full well. Some of the things that you look at as, as, I'll say, failures or faults, uh, not talking about moral decisions, but but things that you look at as, as things that are really distasteful for you in your life, that actually as God knit you together in your mother's womb, God understood those things. And I'm not saying that God gave you faults, but some of how we look at ourselves and look at our shortcomings and our failures, because God knit us together, God is involved in that process, and God said that it is good. Now, we make a lot of decisions in our life that that take the ball out of God's hands, but we, we know that God has created us, that he has said it is good despite even all our faults and failures. There was a man in Judges chapter 6 named Gideon who really struggled with his own uh, view of himself. And Gideon was a man that, that um, he lived in the, the, the nation of Israel, and those people were being attacked and um, really sort of um, uh, being ruled by a group of people from Midian. And uh, they would come into their, their region and they would steal their food and they would steal their livestock. And so um, the Israelites had to do things to try to avoid their food being stolen. And so Gideon is threshing his grain, but he's doing it not out in the open where you normally would, because when you thresh grain, you need wind. You need wind to blow through and help to separate the chaff from the grain itself. And he's doing it in something that would be more like a wine press. He is hiding. So basically, he is, he's, he's like, he's just in hiding. 
And the angel of the Lord, the Bible says, shows up and he says to him, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now that's a pretty good, um, that's a pretty good greeting when it comes from God, I would say. And, and Gideon really struggled with that. He did not see himself as a mighty warrior. In Judges chapter 6 and verse 15, Gideon says this, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? Because God said you're going to save Israel. How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. The families in the, the people of Israel were separated by groups of thousands. So you had 12 tribes, Manasseh was one of those tribes, and within those tribes, they were divided up and counted by groups of a thousand. And when Gideon said that I am the least of my clan, what he is saying is that out of a thousand people, I'm the least. A thousand in my family, I'm the least. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm going to be compared to a thousand other people, and I have to rank myself in there somewhere, I, I don't think I would rank myself as a thousand. Okay, I wouldn't rank myself as number one, but I certainly wouldn't rank myself as a thousand. Gideon saw himself as absolutely the worst or the least of his people. He saw himself as nothing. And God sends the angel of the Lord to him and he says, you're going to save Israel, you are a mighty warrior. And Gideon says, no, I'm sorry, I just don't see myself that way. What he was saying is, I don't think I'm good enough. I don't think I'm talented enough. I don't think I have enough faith. I don't see myself as spiritual enough. How many times have you or, 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 or me, how many times have I said the exact same thing? When God, when God lays something on your heart and, and says, you know what, this is what I want you to do, and we say, God, I'm not good enough. Somebody asks you to, to lead a small group. No, God, I, I'm just not good enough. I'm not, I'm not spiritual enough to do something. Somebody asks you to, to teach um, a class or to serve in a particular capacity or to lead something. And immediately we look at ourselves the same way that Gideon looked at his, himself. But I want, I want you to remember that Moses stuttered so bad, he said, God, you're going to have to find somebody else because I can't do this. I, I can't do it. God, find someone else because he stuttered so bad. Elijah was, was a man that suffered from depression. We look through the scripture and we find people like Peter. Not only did he have a big mouth. Can anybody identify with that? I can identify with that. Not only did he have a big mouth, but he had a temper. How about John the Baptist? Totally antisocial. Think about that. Totally antisocial. Abraham, a friend of God, was known to be a liar. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, the Apostle Paul says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Six times Paul said in his letters, I thank God for you. Friends, I want you to understand that when we look at ourselves and we, we try to grasp what the past is and we incorporate that into today, when we come to Christ, God does not see us as the past. 
He does not look at us and, and remember and recall the things that happened in our past the way that we do. The Bible says that God removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. So when we come to Christ, And the Bible says that our sins may be as scarlet, but he washes them as white as snow. What that means is that God looks at us through the blood of Jesus Christ, and he sees us as being forgiven and does not condemn us. I don't know about you, but as I think of my past, and as I even am am, in a place where I can say, thank you, God, for who I was, that I'm not that person anymore, I struggle to leave that in the past. I want to bring it with me into the present, and as I look at myself, I have a hard time separating those two people. But as God sees us, he sees us as we are through the blood of Jesus Christ. Man, I'm so glad that that's how God sees me. I'm thankful that I'm not who I used to be. I'm thankful for who I am, but I'm also thankful, number three, for who I'm going to be. I'm so glad that God doesn't just leave us where we are, we're on a journey. We're on a journey to grow in our faith in Jesus Christ. Like I said before, there's lots of people in the Bible that had a negative past. I think that can be a comfort to us as we think about our lives, realizing that that we have a past, and to realize that that there are things in that past that, that may still cause us a sense of shame or regret. There was a man in the Old Testament His name is Jabez. I want to read virtually everything that the Bible says about Jabez in 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. It says, Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. His mother named him Jabez, saying, I gave birth to him in pain. Jabez cried out to the God of Israel, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory Let your hand be with me and keep me from harm so that I will be free from pain. And God granted his request. Jabez past followed him around every day. How would you like your past to follow you around every day? His name meant I gave birth to him in pain. Bible scholars believe that he was probably born breach. And if you know anything about what a breech baby is, if I remember correctly, because my brother Dan uh, wanted to be born breech, it's, it's you, basically you're coming out backside first, kind of folded up. And I always thought that was perfect for my brother because he was just showing the world, hey, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm coming out. I'm giving, that's just my brother Dan. If you know my brother Dan, it makes total sense. Um, but but his, her, that birth process was so painful that she named him a reminder of it. Now, I want you to think when you were growing up as a kid. I don't, I don't know what it was like where, where you grew up, but where I grew up, at dinner time, my mom stuck her head out the front door. They didn't come looking for us. And she would yell, Kevin, Daddy, Mark! 
Time to come home for dinner, you know, because we were somewhere within a couple houses away, you know, and, and she was calling us. Could you imagine every time your mom did that, what you would hear is I was brought forth in pain. The reminder that that would be every conversation that you have at the dinner table where your name is used, a reminder of the pain that you had caused now, he was not a continual sense of pain in her life, but that name, that it followed him around. We are our name. It means something to us. And what it meant to him was, my past meant pain. Some of us have painful pasts. Some of us look back at our, our past, and it is indeed a painful memory. But Jabez believed that God had something more for him. He was already, the Bible says, more honorable than his brothers. But he prayed that God would bless him. The King James says, bless me indeed. In the Hebrew, the word indeed is like putting five exclamation points in a row. I did not know that you could do that. I wish I did know that because I use exclam- I have to erase exclamation points because I use them so often. In fact, I get teased in our office because I use exclamation points so often in my communication. But when, when he said, bless me indeed, five exclamation, I mean, it's just like hitting that button on the keyboard over and over again. God, that you would bless me indeed. He wanted to be more for God. The idea, Bruce Wilkinson, the author of the book, Prayer of Jabez, to bless in the biblical sense is to ask for or to impart supernatural favor. Jabez is saying, God, that you would grant me supernatural favor, that I might be a blessing to this world, that I might be able to further the kingdom of God. Give me a greater capacity to hold your blessing so that I can expand your kingdom. He wanted to be more for God. He wanted more influence for God's kingdom. And he believed that God was calling him for more. I love what Paul wrote to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 3 beginning at verse 12. He said, not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which, for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul admits that he's not arrived yet. He's not got there yet to that place that God wants him to be. But he knows that God is not finished with him. He knows who he used to be in the past. Before his come to Jesus day on the road to Damascus, he knows who he used to be. He was the one that was approving of the death of the saints, the one that was arresting people in other communities under the authority of the high priest. He knew who he was but he knew that God had something even more for him. And I think it's interesting that he says he had to forget the past. I think there's some of us that have to forget our past. 
Because as long as we hold on to that past, we drag it into today. And it acts like a, an anchor keeping us from becoming who God ultimately desires us to be. Paul said, forgetting the past. Straining toward what will be. Paul was able to say, I'm thankful for who I was, who he was, who he is, and who he would be. One of the most well-known and famous hymns that we've had in the church was written by a man named John Newton. He wrote, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound that saved a wretch like me. We don't use that word wretch. It's not a pleasant word. Paul understood that he was a wretch, but he understood the amazing goodness of God's grace. Newton was saved out of the life of being a slave trader. And God miraculously saved him. And Newton went on to go into the ministry. And God used him powerfully. Today I hope that you can be thankful for who you used to be. To be thankful that you're not that person any longer. To be thankful for who you are. To be thankful for who you will be. Are you thankful for everything, as Paul said? Past present and future. That 1966 GTO was my dad's. My dad didn't buy another new car, another brand new car. I don't know if he ever did buy another brand new car after that 66 GTO. And the person that crashed it, Bob, that was his brother, my uncle Bob. You know, that picture of the, the car that's all wrinkled up, that is a picture that is in my Uncle Bob's wallet to this day. From 1968 until now, that picture has been in his wallet as a reminder. But let me tell you something, and I love this. I think this is a, there's a great picture of God here, and I want you to get it. My Uncle Bob, the, the memories are, are very fresh. The, the regret, the sense of shame. But you'd never know it from talking to him because he doesn't live in that. But I want you to, I want you to hear something. My dad has never told me that story. He's never told me that story. My dad doesn't walk around saying, my brother crashed my brand new 66 GTO. I think it's a picture of who we are with God. We walk around knowing we're the one that crashed into the bridge. We're, we, we, we know we wrecked the car. We know we were told not to drink and we drank anyway and we wrecked that car. And yet God says he sees us differently. When we come to Christ, he sees us through the blood of Jesus and he doesn't look at us and say you caused me pain he looks at us through the blood of Jesus he doesn't see us as the scripture says though our sins be as scarlet God washes them as white as snow he doesn't see us 
the way we would be, but he sees us through the blood of his son, Jesus. So are you able to be thankful for everything past, present, and future? I'm so glad that God's grace miraculously saved my uncle in 1972 and that he served about 35 years in full-time ministry and won a lot of people to Jesus because of God's grace. Are you thankful for who you used to be? Are you thankful for who you are? I know my Uncle Bob is grateful that God saved him. Grateful for the fact that God rescued and saved his life. Today, what I want to encourage you is to be able to look back and to be thankful for who you used to be and that you're not that person anymore. To be able to be thankful for who you are today and to be able to separate the two and then to be thankful for what God has called you to be and who he is leading you to be in the future. Because it's not based on your talent. It's not based on your ability. It's not based on how good looking you are. And some of you are good looking. Some of us, maybe not so much, but some of you are. But it's not our looks. It's the grace of God. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I thank you. I thank you that as we look at our past and we struggle to to leave it in the past, to realize that's not who I am today, as you look at us, you do not remind us of our past. Because when we come to Jesus and we ask for forgiveness, your word says that you are faithful and just and you forgive us of our sin and you cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Your word says that you forgive our sins as far as the east is from the west. I heard it described once is that God takes our sin and he buries it in the deepest ocean and then he puts a sign out that says no fishing. God forgive us when we fish up the past. When we struggle to separate ourselves from the failures and the faults of our past. Father, we pray that you'll help us to let go of those, that we would be able to see ourselves the way that you see us. And Father, we're so grateful that you see us through the blood of your son, Jesus. And I'm thankful that you have called us to something in the future. This morning as we close, maybe you are struggling to let go of those things from the past, to to the way you see yourself from the past. If you're like me, you have prayed hundreds, maybe, maybe a thousand times that you have said, Jesus, forgive me. And you know right now what I'm talking about. You know right now because you have said, God, forgive me. I know I've asked you for this before, but please forgive me. Talking about your, fa- your past when that painful memory comes up and you struggle to realize that God doesn't see you in light of that failure, in light of that sin. And this morning, you'd like to be able to put that in a place where you can be thankful for who you were and that you're not that person anymore. If that's you, I just want to pray for you this morning. If that's you and you're, that's something that, that, that you want to get to that place in your life, I just want you to slip up your hand. I want to pray for you. Yeah, just hold it up. Yep, 
Yep. Yes. You can put them down. For the benefit of these that have raised their hands, I'm just going to invite us to all pray together. Pray out loud. Dear Jesus, come on, let's pray it together. Dear Jesus, I realize that I'm a sinner. And I come to you today with all my past faults and all my past failures. And I put them at your feet. Forgive me. Your word says that you're faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. That includes my past and I give it to you in Jesus' name. Father, I want to be thankful for who I was, but I'm not that person anymore. Thank you for who I am and who you declare me to be and who I will one day be. I thank you for seeing me through the blood of your son, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Father, I pray for those that have been struggling to let go of how they see themselves in the past. Father, I pray that we will say, God, I'm thankful for it, but I'm thankful that I'm not that. That's what I'm thankful about. I'm not that person anymore. Father, help us to let go of it and to not keep digging it up, I pray. And Father, thank you for who you are calling us to be. In Jesus' name we pray.